Thank you so much for being part of our assembly this morning. We have been studying this year through the book of Acts, and this month we've been particularly talking about the theme in the book of Acts that it has always been, always been, God's vision to unite all nations and tribes and languages, all ethnic groups, to unite them under, under Jesus, to unite the world, not to make us the same, but to make us one. Not to take away or erase our differences, but to take away and erase our divisions, to bring us together into one unified family. And this, this theme, this series has challenged me. I know that it's challenged many of you from some of the conversations that we've had this month. And, and we've talked at length about how the first century church, how people like Peter struggled with this idea to wrap their minds around this idea. Is this really God's vision? Is this really God's plan? What does this look like? What, what does this change for us? And how some people stood in the way of God's vision, stood in the way of God's plan, actively and passively resisted and opposed that plan. And, and Thinking about that can be difficult, but I don't want us to only talk about the negative because there's a whole lot of positive as well. In fact, as we look at the world today, as we look at the world today, Christianity, Christianity is the most diverse, the most ethnically diverse religion, belief system that has ever been in the history of humanity. And that means that there have been a lot of Christians who have aligned themselves with the will of God on this. There have been a lot of Christians, there have been a lot of churches who have aligned themselves with the will of Jesus on this, who have walked by the Spirit and not by the flesh. And so we have to talk also about the negative, but we have to talk also about the positive and the churches that have done it well and have done it right because we want to model that, don't we? We want to say, what does it look like for Christians to walk by the Spirit and not by the flesh, to align ourselves with the unstoppable mission and vision of Jesus? And one of those examples we're going to talk about this morning from the book of Acts is a church who did this incredibly well. A church that we could say, we want to be like that. In fact, in the history of McDermott Road, there have been multiple times where we have looked at this particular church in the book of Acts and we said, we want to be like that. That's the kind of church that we want to be. And this church was located in the city of Antioch. Let's, let's talk just a little bit about Antioch and what sort of city it was. Antioch was in Syria and it was a huge city. It was one of the biggest cities in the Roman Empire. Uh, one quote about the city says, the city saw a large number of visitors from all over the known world and thus became exposed to multiple ethnicities, cultures, and religious traditions. A large number of first century Jews had relocated to Antioch following the Roman occupation of Judea. And the population itself was a mosaic of Syrians and Greeks and Jews and Romans. It doesn't mean that they all got along with one another, of course. There were all kinds of tensions and conflicts. It was a city that was well known. It was notorious 
for its immorality. It was a city that was incredibly broken. They had a large arena where they would race chariots. You've seen movies where they race chariots in what was called the circus. And the circus in Antioch could seat 80,000 spectators. Imagine that, 80,000 spectators. And in AD 40, there was a conflict that broke out at the circus. There, there was some disagreement about what started the conflict, but it, end, it ended with, a, with many Jewish people being massacred and several Jewish synagogues being burned. And so, as you can imagine, it was a very diverse city, but it was also a city where there was a lot of conflict. And it was right after that massacre that the gospel came to the city of Antioch. So if you have your Bible, we're going to be in Acts chapter 11 and verse 19. Luke kind of takes us back to Acts chapter 8 just a little bit in the story. He reminds us, you remember when Stephen was stoned? And how there was a great persecution that broke out in Jerusalem after Stephen was killed. And how many Christians were scattered throughout and left Jerusalem. And so Luke reminds us of that. And he says in Acts 11 verse 19. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen. Traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. Speaking the word to no one except Jews. So again as we've talked about in the beginning it was, it was very difficult to wrap their mind around, and it was so much easier. It was so much easier to talk to people that already sort of understood the scriptures, who already understood the culture, who already understood the promises of God, and so they continued to go only and exclusively to people in their own ethnic group. But, verse 20, but, <laughs> but there were some of them men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, that's the, the Greek-speaking Greeks, the, the Gentiles in the city of Antioch, preaching the Lord Jesus, and the hand of the Lord was with them. That's good, isn't it? The hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. So these men of Cyprus and Cyrene are probably Greek-speaking Jews, and they begin to reach out to not, not just other Greek-speaking Jews, but Greek-speaking Greeks, Greek-speaking Gentiles, Greek-speaking uncircumcised people. They begin to reach out into every neighborhood in Antioch. They begin to break down walls. They begin to build bigger Tables. They begin to embrace this vision, embrace this mission, and realize the gospel is for everybody. The family of God is for everybody. And who are we to stand in God's way? And so they begin to really embrace this, embrace this vision and embrace this mission. And it says, the hand of the Lord was what? with them. The hand of the Lord was with them. And I, I, that's what we're talking about this whole year. That's why our theme for the year is unstoppable. Because we need to realize in the 21st century in Collin County or wherever we are, we have to realize in every era and every place that if you are aligned with the Lord, if you are in alignment with the Lord's mission, with the Lord's vision, if you walk by the Spirit and not by the flesh, 
We are unstoppable. The hand of the Lord was with them. Why? Because they were doing the Lord's will. They weren't going with the flow. They weren't going with what they had always done. They were breaking down walls. And they were building bigger tables. They were embracing the mission and the vision of Jesus and going into every neighborhood and recognizing that the gospel of Jesus is for everybody. Everybody. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And when the hand of the Lord was with them, a great number of people turned to the Lord. Verse 22. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. Now, the church in Jerusalem was just starting to, to get used to this idea, weren't they? Wait, okay, it's getting real now. They, they had had this event with Cornelius that we've been talking about for several weeks, and they had really wrestled with that, but so far it's just theoretical. This idea of Jewish people and people of every ethnicity coming and sitting together at the same table, eating together, being family with one another, accepting one another, loving one another, being part of the same covenant family. It was all just theoretical up to this point. But now in Antioch, it's getting real. It's getting really, really real. And they hear reports of this and say, we got to check this out. We got to send somebody to check this out. So the report of this came to their ears, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. Barnabas, and you may know already, but Barnabas is just his nickname. His real name is Joseph, but everybody calls him Barnabas. And Barnabas means son of encouragement. Son of encouragement. Why? Because Barnabas is a reconciler. Barnabas is a peacemaker. Barnabas is one who's used to tearing down walls and building bigger tables. And so he was a great choice to go to Antioch and check this out. See what this is all about. See what this is like. See what's going on in Antioch. How are they bringing these Gentiles to the table? And what does it look like for everyone to live in fellowship? And it says that when he got there, he saw, he saw the grace of God. He saw God's generosity to them. He saw what God was doing with them and in them and through them. And I believe the same thing, even though God works different in different eras, I believe the same thing is true today, that when God is working in a church, when God is working in a people, you can see it, can't you? You can see it. It becomes visible. It becomes palpable. It becomes tangible. You can see what God is doing here. You can see what God is doing there. And Barnabas saw it, and he was glad. And he said, this is the way. This is the way it's supposed to be. This is how it's supposed to work. And because the hand of the Lord is with them and because God is giving them grace, again, this isn't their work. This isn't Barnabas's work. This isn't the men of Cyprus and Cyrene's work. This is Jesus's work. This is the Spirit's work. This is the Father's work. They just got on board with it. They just got aligned with it. That's what Jesus is asking of us. 
You don't, you don't have to do it. It's not your power. It's not your strength. It's not your ingenuity. It's his. You just have to get aligned with his plan, with his vision, with his mission, and things begin to change. And Barnabas sees it. And it excites him because he knows this is the way that it's supposed to be. And again, Luke says, and a great many people were added to the Lord. Verse 25, so Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Now we remember Saul, right? Saul had this conversion experience. He saw this light. He was baptized into Jesus. But it's been years since we've heard from Saul. And he's been in Tarsus and thereabouts. So Barnabas... When he sees what's going on in Antioch, he goes up to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, and in Antioch, the disciples were first called what church? Christians. Now, you might think, I, I think I would probably think, if I didn't know this, I would think that the word Christian should be all over the Bible, right? You think, the Bible probably mentions Christian like that word like a million times, right? I mean, the Bible is all about being a Christian. You know how many times the word Christian is in the Bible? Three. Three times. Three times. And it's never really something that followers of Jesus call themselves. It's typically something that other people called them. And it's particularly interesting that Antioch is the first place where people call them Christians. Why? Why? Because these followers of Jesus defied every other category they had. People love to categorize people, don't they? We say, well, this, this group of people, they're this kind of people. This group of people, they're that kind of people. These kind of people belong to this faction. This group of people belong to that faction. This group of people, they're this ethnicity. These people, they're that ethnicity. It was really easy to group the Jewish people over here and say, well, these are all Jewish people. They've got all kinds of different sects and fac factions, and, and they divide themselves up, but they're all Jewish people. But now, but now... This isn't just a faction of Judaism. And the people in Antioch, I don't know what to do with these people. I don't know what to call these people. There's people that belong to this way from every neighborhood. There's people that, that follow this Jesus and belong to this group and hang out with these people and eat with them and share with them and fellowship with them. And they're, they're all kinds of different people that come from all different groups. So they had no way to categorize them anymore. They defied every category. So there was nothing else to do but coin a new phrase. And they just said, well, they follow this guy they call the Christ. That's what we'll call them, Christians. And it should be like that in every city, shouldn't it? Where the followers of Jesus defy every category. Where we defy worldly categorization. Where people don't know what to do with us. Like, well, they're not all like this, and they're not all like that, and they don't all belong to this group, and they don't all belong to that group. They're from all different kinds of groups and all different backgrounds from all different neighborhoods, and yet they come together, and they're one family, and they're one body. We don't know what else to call them but followers of this Christ. We don't know what else to call them except Christians. They're different, and we've never seen anything like it before. 
The world has never seen anything like this before or since. Christianity is the most ethnically diverse belief system that human beings have ever seen. We defy every category of human beings. They don't know what to do with us when we're doing it God's way. When we're doing it in the way of Jesus, when we're walking by the Spirit, the world doesn't know how to categorize us anymore. They don't know what group to put us in. And that's the way it should be. Keep reading verse 27. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over the whole world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to stockpile resources for themselves. Is that what it says? Nope. To send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Now, this is amazing, isn't it? I mean, if, if, you, if you got a, a word from the Lord that said, there's going to be a worldwide famine, and we know from history that during this time, there were several different events throughout the Roman Empire that caused shortages. If you had known, let's just make it real, if you had known in 2019 what was coming, if somebody had told you in 2019 what was coming in 2020, how would you have reacted to that news? And here, this new church in Antioch, this new church that seems to primarily be made up of Greeks, of uncircumcised people, of Gentile people, of people from the nations, when they get this news, their reaction isn't to stockpile resources for themselves. It's not to ensure their own safety and security and comfort. Their reaction is to send relief to their Aramaic-speaking brothers and sisters in Judea. Their reaction is to love their family across ethnic lines their reaction is to love their family across geographic lines. Their reaction is to love their family across linguistic lines. We could put it this way. The Christians in Antioch demonstrated world-altering familial love, right? World-altering. This changed the world, this love for one another. And it's exactly what Jesus prayed for. Jesus prayed that they would all be one. That the world would know that the Father had sent the Son. That this would be the testimony that something has changed in the world. The fabric of the cosmos has changed. Jesus is the ruler of the universe. Jesus is king. Jesus is Messiah. And one of the greatest signs that that was true was this kind of familial love. You're my brother. You're my sister. We don't speak the same language. We don't come from the same background. We don't have the same experiences. We don't have the same resources. We don't have the same background, but we're family. You're my brothers. You're my sisters. And if a famine is coming, 
then you need this more than we do. Because that's what family looks like. But family had never looked like this before. Family had never looked so multi-ethnic before. Family had never looked so multinational before. Family had never looked so multilingual before. And this familial love across ethnic lines, across linguistic lines, across geographic lines, this brother-sister family love, it was a message to the world that something has radically shifted and changed. A new king is in town. Jesus rules and reigns. And this kind of radical generosity, this kind of familial love would be the expectation for God's people going forward. It wasn't just the church in Antioch who sent funds and resources to Jerusalem. Paul, as he would travel around and preach to and plant new churches, this was his encouragement, support your brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. Look at, uh, look at Romans chapter 15 and verse 25. This is the letter that he wrote to the church in Rome. He said, at present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. Of course, this is, this is much later. I'm going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Acacia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it. And indeed, listen to this, they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in the spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. He says, they were glad to do it, and they wanted to do it, and they desired to do it. It was out of the goodness of their heart, but in all actuality, they owed it to them. They were obligated to do it. Why? Because that's what family does. The, the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem had shared their spiritual inheritance with the world and said, hey, all y'all get to be my brothers and sisters and share in these covenant promises. And Paul says, because they shared these spiritual blessings with all of us, now we Gentiles, we get to share our material resources with them. This is what family does. These Gentiles, Paul says, they owed it to their Jewish brothers and sisters. This is what family looks like. Sometimes we think about obligation as a negative thing. Obligation isn't a negative thing, is it? Obligation is a good thing. Why do you think we get married, right? I, I married my wife, and, and now I'm obligated to take care of her. And you say, obligated? Well, that's... No, I, I want to. That's why I chose to marry her. That's what family does for one another. And when family is, is bound together by covenant, they are obligated to take care of one another. And so the church at Antioch was obligated, obligated by love, obligated by covenant, obligated by what Jesus had done for them, obligated because their Jewish brothers and sisters had shared their inheritance with them. They were obligated to share with the church in Jerusalem. The churches in Macedonia and Acacia were obligated by love, obligated by covenant, obligated because that's what family does. 
shares resources with one another. Again, Paul writes about this a lot. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 13, he's talking about this collection for the Christians in Jerusalem. Again, it's a different collection, but the same theme. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 13, for I, I do not mean that others should be eased and you be burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much, whoever gathered much, whoever worked hard and gathered much had nothing left over. And whoever gathered little had no lack. Paul says this is the way it works in family. Right now, you have an abundance. Right now, you have resources, and they don't. So as a matter of fairness, you make up for what they lack. You don't hoard it. You don't keep it to yourself. You share it with your brothers and sisters. You share it across linguistic lines. You share it against, uh, across ethnic lines. You share it across geographic lines. You share with your brothers and sisters because right now you have an abundance and they have a lack. There may come a time in the future where they have an abundance and you have a lack. And guess what will happen then? They'll share with you because that's what family does. So that the one who works really hard and gathers a lot has nothing left over and the one who gathers very little has no lack because they share with one another. Because this is the way it's supposed to function and work in the church. This is the way it has since the very beginning. Do you remember Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4 in Jerusalem? How they had all things in common? And now, going forward, Antioch has all things in common with their brothers and sisters in Judea. Churches in Macedonia and Acacia and Corinth and Rome have all things in common with their brothers and sisters in Judea. They share across geographic lines and linguistic lines and national lines. They share across ethnic lines because they are family. And that's what family does. It's not enough to say, okay, we're all saved. That's great, we're all saved. But you take care of you and I'll take care of me. It's not enough to say, okay, yeah, you worship God and you're good with God and I worship God and I'm good with God, but, but you take care of you and I'll take care of me. That's, that's not the way it works in family. In family, we share everything. In family, we share everything. We share our blessings and we share our burdens. Here's a long way to kind of sum up everything we've talked about this month. The multi-ethnic, Christ-centered, Spirit-filled family of God defies worldly categorization, bears one another's burdens, and shares resources freely and fairly with one another. That's the church. That's the church. That's what the church has been. That's what the church must be. Are these Spirit-filled Christ-centered people that defy worldly categorization. There's no way to say, well, Christians are, are this kind of people. Christians are that kind of people. The only way you can describe followers of Jesus is as followers of Jesus. Christians. 
And this is what Christians do. We share with one another. We bear one another's burdens. We share our resources freely and fairly with one another. We say, if I have an abundance and you have a lack, what's mine is yours. And if you have an abundance and I have lack, then we share with one another because that's what family does. We could say it much more simply than this. We could just say, if we share Christ, we share everything. If we share Christ, we share everything. If we share Christ, we share the Spirit. If we share Christ, we share salvation. If we share Christ, we share worship. If we share Christ, we share the bread. If we share Christ, we share the cup. If we share Christ, we share our resources. If we share Christ, we bear one another's burdens. We listen to each other. We love each other. And we say, if this hurts you, it hurts me. Because we're family. If this hurts you, it hurts me because we're one body. If you're hurting, your pain is my pain. If you're suffering, your suffering is my suffering. If one suffers, we all suffer together. If one rejoices, we all rejoice together. Because if we share Christ, we share everything. And I'm so thankful that that has been my experience by and large in the church for almost 40 years is I have seen the church share everything. Sure, I've seen Christians who have stood in God's way on this. But I have also seen God's people share everything with each other. And my encouragement for me and my encouragement for you is for us to be fully aligned with the mission and the vision of Jesus so that we embrace to the very core of our being this truth. If we share Christ, we share everything. If we can help you this morning, if you're ready to share in Christ with your brothers and sisters here and your brothers and sisters across the world by being baptized into Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and be added to his body, or you just need to share your burdens with someone and you need people to pray with you and help you, then we're here for you. Our shepherds would love to visit with you in the prayer room or you could come forward right now as together we stand and sing the song.